Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. This episode is part of a series of bonus episodes focused on blackness. The recent mini summit was hosted by Britt Hawthorne and Lorena Germán. It featured yours truly, Roberto Germán, Yolanda Sili Ruiz, and Tanisha Foreman. This particular episode, Britt Hawthorne talks about being black biracial. I'm so glad I'm here. Thank you for having me and for us putting this together. Yes. Yes, I was just saying that I'm excited about getting into conversation with you. And um, you know what? So I just said, like, you and I are going to talk about you being Black biracial and kind of what that means in terms of Blackness and the larger African-American community. Can you talk a little bit about what you and Roberto will discuss? Yeah. Blackness and Latinidad and all that? Yeah, so I'm really excited. I'll talk with Roberto. I think I'm going to probably do more listening than talking. Mm -hmm. um, but first, I, you know, I have three kind of big things that I'm tr trying to unpack or understand is number one, the biggest idea of this whole conversation is ways that white supremacy continues to simplify narratives. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really working in in this season of my life is to complicate those narratives, right? So how did I make it K-12 and I made it all the way through K-12 and I learned, did celebrated black history in school, but yet we never talked about Afro-Latinos, Afro-Latinas. We never talked about Afro-Caribbeans. Right. So really trying to understand and complicate that history around language. The second thing um, is looking for resources. Like, is there someone I should be listening? I should be following? Is there language I should be thinking about? Yeah. Um, and third, and I think the biggest one, honestly, it's gonna be the biggest takeaway is solidarity. How do we then, right? Yeah. Like we all have very personal ways that we identify yeah. when I'm in a conversation with you, right? I identify as black biracial, mm -hmm. but on paper, I identify in a different way. I identify as black because right. it's a solidarity movement, right? Mm -hmm. It's me saying that I'm gonna have adjacency and I'm gonna yeah. vote for the best interest of this community. Right. So how do I also work in solidarity? with yeah. the Latinx movement as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, I'm going to speak to that in a second. I want to come back. I want us to start right there. Um, and then later, I'm going to talk to um, first is Yolanda Silly-Ruiz. I'm so excited to talk about healing, like the intersection of healing, Blackness, and education. We're just going to live there for about 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then late night, I'm sitting and talking to Tanisha, and we're going to talk about colorism. I'm so excited that you put her on my radar, Britt, and that she was able to do this because, I mean, just based on what we were talking about, this is, that's going to be a good one. That's, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you and Tanisha connected and that that will be the evening. Yes. Centering that conversation because while colorism affects us all, Right, it's so important to listen to the folks that it directly impacts the most. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. She's just brilliant. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. So let me just say something, right? So Britt, I don't know when, maybe like over a year ago, I don't know when you did this, but you did this live one time where you were walking through the census and kind of how you check off 
on things yeah. and clarifying what certain things were. And I was like, that's just so helpful for people to understand how the choices that they make on those documents are really beyond your identity. And it's so mm -hmm. much more political than anything else. And for many years, as a Latina, I, have, I had to negotiate so much when, when getting hit with these forms. And so it wasn't until like right before Roberto and I got married, which is about to, gonna, going on 12 years, okay? So for the past like whatever, 12, 13 years, what I chose is, you know, and you said it the same way, you said it a great way, which was like, what is the political affiliation that I want to take with this document? And so what I choose for race is black, right? Because it allows me to acknowledge the blackness in my body, in my blood, in my ancestry. Um, I can do that and reject the colonizer experience. So it doesn't mean that I don't acknowledge that it's in me. What I'm saying is I'm not gonna side with them. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. continue to support the status quo that keeps them in their political power, right? Um, and then sometimes they'll ask like ethnicity. And so then I'll check off, you know, nothing or Hispanic, but you know, making that choice has always felt for me so empowering, um, and even deviant in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm always like, I'm a, whatever's deviant, you got me, yes. you know? How can um, so talk to me about your process. Like, how did you get to this kind of peace maybe would you call it identity peace like how did you get here i am you know what i it's i am really at peace with my racial and ethnic identity yeah. and um i don't necessarily know if you know white domination's at peace with it but i'm really at peace yeah, with right. it so growing <laughs> up i have a white mom i have a black dad mm -hmm. and i had um i guess picked up or internalized a lot of language growing up you know uh one thing that my mom did not like was the term mixed. So that wasn't allowed in the house. So whenever people called us mixed, that was like a big thing. I don't know. I don't know. And my mom's not with me today to ask. So, but that was like very triggering to her. And she'd be like, my children are not fatter. They're biracial. So that was the language I grew up is that we were biracial. If someone, if I needed to have, I guess the most accurate identity, um, in seventh grade, my mom, who is white, was like, you will mark black because you are black. People will, wow. you know, they won't see you as white. Okay, so she was pretty woke then. She was. I mean, she read, I mean, I have books like, mm. like I, I have this book from her with mm -hmm. all of her notes in it. From oh, that's beautiful. Um, and, and for her, like she, I think, really understood that. Mm. Basically, what every what white domination is trying to figure out is, are you white or are you not? Right? right. And so there's like this. And when you go back in history and you realize that they yeah. really did just want to know, are you white or not? And over time, we've had solidarity movements. We have racial um, solidarity movements that have been created and resistance to say, how do we then have Asian American, African American, right? Um, Latino, Hispanic. How do we have these? um designations that don't feel right really for any of us on a personal mm -hmm. level mm -hmm. but but it's a way that all of us say here's our agenda these things are important to us right. we are being erased from a conversation mm -hmm. um so you know kind of like have moved through that through life 
Um, and while a lot of other people will say, you know, you're not black enough, I also understand and within the black identity, right? There's black in the sense of it being a racial identity. Mm -hmm. And this, I think it's tricky for folks. Yes. Black is, can be, or is your racial identity, mm -hmm. but you may not identify with blackness culturally. That's right. Exactly. Particularly being black American. Exactly. And that's why mm -hmm. in school, when you have mm -hmm. some students that will say you're not black enough, or you talk white, or you do this, what they're saying is because only culture can be experienced. Do you remember when we were in um, NCTE and we were listening to Elizabeth Acevedo? And yes. You remember when she was talking about how she learned how to make, I think it was rice? No. And you, okay, okay. I'll, I'll try to jog your memory. Yes. Learning how to make rice. And then we had a conversation afterwards and you're like, that's exactly how I learned how to cook. Mm. Was being in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. And it was like, you add this much water, this much. A little much, bit. Right? A little bit of and that something to experience it's mm -hmm. not something that it's like okay so we're going to do a one to two ratio <laughs> right. or measuring cup like that's not it so there's yeah. there's a black identity that's a cultural yeah. experience that you can mm -hmm. only access mm -hmm. when you're there culturally yeah um and then we have an ethnicity right and there's like a diaspora then of blackness mm -hmm. where in the other i have racial groups they don't have that that's so specific to blackness which i think mm -hmm. is beautifully mm -hmm. complicates mm -hmm. so so racially i'm yeah. black right ethnically mm -hmm. i'm black biracial mm. i also can access whiteness in ways right. that other people can't because i grew up right with it um internally yeah. and i've grown up just accessing it with my family yeah um and then sometimes there's things that, you know, my friends are like, oh my God, you're so white. And I was like, yeah, my mom must have took over that part growing like, like, <laughs> you know, like mac and cheese can be a whole meal. And they're like, it is a side dish. <laughs> okay. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, so I, we watched, Roberto and I watched the, um, the Colin Kaepernick series. Did you see that? Okay. I haven't, I haven't. No, it's okay. It's fine. There, pros and cons but anyway there were moments watching that where i was just baffled at how the the clashing of you know like the, the ignorance of both people so of colin growing up because you don't you don't you're not born woke <laughs> right thank and you like, that's such a process as you're learning even yes. for folks of color and so in his case because he didn't have those black narratives at home right kind of reinforcing him and affirming his identity when he was faced with all of the clashing outside in society you know it's kind of hard for him to process he could feel the offness of it but couldn't necessarily name it and then coming home his white mom and dad were absolutely not affirming his identity and were kind of always siding with those um or, or just kind of I don't think it was intentional gaslighting, but it was certainly like, well, I don't know, do you think that she, you know? Anyway, so would you say that that was somewhat similar to you? Like how, how was it growing up and, and saying, we're going to my cousin's house and it's all these white folks? Like, did you have those moments there? I'm gonna assume yes, but I'm just gonna throw you a softball. To get <laughs> Look, let me catch it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was interesting. So my mom, as you were saying, like no one is 
born woke, right? So my mom throughout my life, and she still had a lot of work to do by the time she passed, right? But throughout my life, she always had these like intentional waking up moments. Um, and I think for my mom, like looking back, she was very in a, like an academia space too, right? So she's like listening to Cornell West on like cassette tape. And you okay, know, like- Yeah, that's definitely woke. <laughs> to Michael Eric Dyson and very like, again, academia spaces, mm -hmm. not necessarily like listening to um, activists yeah. like on the, on the ground. But now she was the only person in that family in my, in my, on my mom's side, right? Everyone else is like, oh gosh, I could just, I could just repeat so much racist things that we've, mm -hmm. we've all had to like experience and endure. And um, there was a time this was after she passed. Long story short, we, I went to my aunt's graduation party and was at a restaurant and um, she's a 40 something old white woman who's graduating with her bachelor's degree everyone there at the table is white except me and my sister and so we got there and we're a little late it happens and we were waiting for the hostess to seat us well the hostess kept picking other people behind us like literally was like reaching by, like around and then finally i was like hey we are next and the hostess like brushed it off and there was two white women next to us um, and she went to go help them. And those two white women were like, no, they are next and you will help them. So I told her, I was like, thank you. We um, get seated. And I'm just like furious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lifted at that point. And I'm like 22, 23 yeah. at the time. You know, I'm just like furious in my body. And we're like, we want to talk to the manager. So we're at the table. The manager comes over. <sighs> and um, the two white women who also remember before we're like no they were next and you'll help us yeah they came over and talked to the manager okay at the same time they were like we are appalled we watched that it happened it was disgusting like they kind of like, that's really what they it was it was and i think they also knew like could see maybe how young we still were trying mm -hmm. to navigate this yeah but when the manager had left who wasn't very helpful all of our white family that's at the table was like why yeah and they were like you're making a big deal about making it a big deal mm -hmm. and it wasn't that bad yeah. and just all of this so a mm. lot of gaslighting yeah uh, that happened growing up and mm. you know i guess like i, I learned that anti-racism really is a choice mm -hmm. right like my mom made the choice to yes you know do the work and then mm -hmm. she's passed that to us and also let me know, like, y'all are going to have to continue to do the work. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that gas, that family gaslighting is real, <laughs> you know? And one of the things that I'm sure is going to come up when you talk to Roberto is the way that racism also lives within the Latino community, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, as wherever colonization has hit, we're, we have the problem. And yeah. so that's literally the majority of the globe, you know? And so there's moments where I, in my own family, have to be like, all right, I'm just not gonna let it pass this time, right? Like, I never do, but like right now, especially. And so here we go. And there's always the one or two, like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure, but thanks for asking, you know? And it's, and it's I, exhausting, really. And I wish too that, 
again, going back to education, but even like something that lacked in my own conversations in my, with my family is this idea that being biracial or having this ancestry is somehow new. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I wish that I would have learned earlier on about mm -hmm. all of the other like biracial people that have come before us and have named it because I really feel like since Barack Obama, there's just, it's like, it's everywhere now. Like yeah. up until then it was so hard. Yeah. So I, know. I remember this. I remember yeah. like when I first started doing a lot of this work being like, where the heck are all the bi black biracial people? Like y'all have been around since Columbus decided to come over here. Like what is going on? Yes. And you know, it wasn't until my adulthood that, you know, I learned that Booker T Washington is black biracial, right? Frederick mm -hmm. Douglass black biracial like there's these folks that we all always consider as black and racially are black mm -hmm. right but there's i think a nuance to the conversation that we have to say yeah part you know and this will come with the colorism is when you're black biracial how you're able because you can right. see this duality right and you also can access skills on both sides how you're able to can really be a tool for liberation Mm -hmm. In a way, not to like say people are tools, but I hope you know what I right, mean. Right, 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 right. Or, mm -hmm. and, of, uh, and most often, what we're used and what we allow ourselves to be used are as tokens and tools for oppression, as to be gatekeepers. And I think that's a really big conversation we have to have, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about Black History Month as ways in which mm -hmm. we can be activists, we can be co-conspirators for justice, mm -hmm. or we can definitely be gatekeepers where people are like, why can't you be more like, Brittany, you know, I can be more like Katrina, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Tiffany, like right. you should be like that. And it's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like something that you just touched upon as we get ready to wrap up. Um, you know, I think that one of the, what I've been hearing more in the larger mainstream educational conversation in the last several years is the call for more nuance just in kind of how our conversation started right for more nuance and complicated narratives in education and so i am hopeful that through our summit and even this conversation folks can start to do better in terms of the materials that they select the the angles that they use to teach about blackness really is what you're teaching about um and that black biracial voices and stories are represented in mm -hmm. meaningful way in holistic ways too right not like oh this happens to be a person who had a white dad but yeah let's just talk about right like no what does that mean for them how did that shape them what what access did that provide them how did they leverage that access yes some type of power and bring about change you know um any thoughts on that in terms of like how understanding or better understanding black biracial identity can be useful for teachers oh okay i feel like that's a lot <laughs> it is a lot um but it is very useful and i think that we have to talk about people we can't just you know you can't only talk about here i have a book you can't only talk about dr king or malcolm x if you're not if you don't also want to talk about brit i told you brit i told you okay we need to like oh okay yeah all right I'll text you about this <laughs> yes, but we also have to talk about their yeah. parents, right? Because okay. we know yeah. when, when we always talk about things start at home, right? Dr. King's 
teaching or waking up moments and all of that started at mm -hmm. home. So I think mm -hmm. that's important to know. I think it's also important to know what I want educators to know really starts with their own internal biases in ways in which at the same time how white students more oftentimes will be called on, will be offered grace, are yeah. used as the example, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Your black biracial students mm -hmm. will also too, when they're biracial with white, let me have that caveat, right? Your students that are also mixed with white will have that too. Mm -hmm. And we have to think about ways in which like in our gifted and talented programs mm -hmm. that we have black students in them, mm -hmm. but how many of those black students are biracial? Right. Or have mixed ancestry, mm -hmm. right? How, how we're still again using, going back to census from the very beginning of the conversation, mm -hmm. how are we allowing ourselves to be used? Where, where are we aligning our agendas with? And then as teachers also thinking about that, how does a particular student uphold or how do I teach about particular yeah. people? Right? We have Booker T. Washington, a lot of people gravitate, a lot of white teachers will gravitate to him and his teachings. As a black biracial man, how did he uphold whiteness in ways, right? How is he using or leveraging himself to be of liberation right. or of oppression? Right. And I think all of those conversations are so necessary to have. You can't just like paint black folks with this brush stroke and pretend yeah. we all, first of all, have the same knowledge right. that we're like coming with and that we're all also using it for the same reasons. And I, you know what? Yes, yes. And there's something else that I've noticed too for a while, particularly about Black History Month, but it can be said for like Women's History Month and even Latinx History Month. Um, an Asian American History Month, which is only now getting more attention. Right. Um, and it's how, for me, I perceive that there are a numerous characters, right, that get studied and they're supposed to be interchangeable. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, or, or am I, I wonder if I'm saying this clearly. What I mean is like, it's like, just pick one, right? Because like, you're just you're just talking about blackness anyway. And so pick this one and pick that one like they're flowers off of a bush and just present them as, you know, oh, this is what this one did. And these very superficial, they just represent blackness this month instead of like, no, let's wait a minute. <laughs> like, what are you focusing on people that work for liberation? Because that ain't everybody up on your list. Is that right? Or are you talking about people who um protested and and were in the civil rights movement but you know we're we're are just palatable to what you think they should have been doing versus these other people that you perceive to be violent or whatever and yes i'm thinking about the panthers and malcolm x and all these people right that that we don't really just see as much discussed during black history month in schools and yes, instead in elementary or middle school right right it's like if if you're talking about it it's like a risque conversation that happens in high school to be like, I'm such a progressive teacher. Yeah. Right. And I, I agree with you. I think that regardless of the heritage month um, or the identity month that we're talking about, oftentimes it's like we're, we're focused on, or we've sanitized a narrative. I think about like with Dr. King, either we focus on or sanitize a narrative to say, these are the people who did it the right way, regardless of the month. We're looking for folks right. who are palatable. And so I think, you know, thinking about Black History Month, um, I think the, the very last thing is, if you're, yeah, if you're gonna study people, to me, the only reason to study people is to really study them. Right. 
and all of their nuances. Other than that, focus on movements. Mm -hmm. Focus mm -hmm. on justice movements, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the Black um, Panthers out of Chicago, the Rainbow Coalition, like focus on those movements. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, okay, well, Britt, before we go, can you tell us about your book? I can. Here's Do a you have it? Oh, look at that. Oh, it's so beautiful. And this is, so I actually have to make a post. So you're going to be like the kind of one of the first ones to know about it because I got to make okay. a post about it. Um, so this is not the um, actual cover as what? we're thinking about Black History Month. The actual cover, I don't have a picture with me right now. All of these folks here are supposed to be the color jet black, right? Oh. And, you know, we have a section in the book. I say we, because you you and Roberto are contributing authors. Have a section in the book talking about why we I use the term people of the golden majority. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about how much whiteness is centered mm -hmm. uh, in children's books and media and all of this. Mm -hmm. And yet when the book cover came out, um, the publishing team said the book is not the book cover is not inclusive enough mm. enough right um knowing that we only use the term inclusive to mean that we're trying to include those that are most marginalized right. not include right. those that are already dominating <laughs> yes right so yeah but, um anywho they changed the book cover okay to skin tones yeah while the illustrator and myself did some advocating some fierce advocating in the back end yeah and we got this book cover changed which i'm okay. really excited about so i'm gonna release a book cover that okay. celebrates blackness yes listen i have a lot to say about that but i will not at this moment i'm just gonna say i'm excited to see that new cover i'm excited for your book to be out in the world it is about parenting it is about thinking about racism and liberation for parents and if i know brit there's going to be tons of tangible strategies and steps for you to practice and put to test right away yeah so for those of you that are parents or no parents with young people in their lives get this pre-order it so i'm excited yeah. for you you can pre-order it there's lots of scripts in here yeah. there's mm -hmm. activities yeah they're all throughout it's actually like a book you can write in um it it's the book that i needed like i needed something to help me in my waking up and so you can pre-order now y'all thanks lorena i appreciate it as always your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.